It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I have really been looking forward to today's broadcast, which is absolutely going to be unique in our broadcasting history. What's going to happen that's unique is that I'm bringing on one guest with a phenomenal message and a phenomenal new book who will join me this first half hour. And then an hour later, he will rejoin me for listeners in different parts of America. So that means if you're listening online, you'll catch all of it. And then the middle hour, yet another guest, one of the world's foremost apologists. So I'm going to be joined today by Frank Viola and by Norman Geisler. I had Frank on with me just a couple of months back talking about one of his newer books. And I I so enjoyed the interview. I I, I was personally edified by it. I was personally challenged to to spend more time with the Lord as a result of it, that that when news came of, of a new book, God's favorite place on earth that Frank has, has just written, just released, uh, and, and one of the best sellers on Amazon right now, I thought, I'm going to break with my normal tradition and bring Frank on again. So, Frank Viola, great to have you back on the line of fire with us. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, Michael, I'm excited, and I'm so thankful, and goodness me, you got Norman Geisler sandwiched in between uh, these two segments with me. Man, I'm, I feel like I'm dreaming, my friend. Hey, this is it. That, that, that's why I thought we'll explore the heart of God and the mind of God. That works, Perfect. doesn't it? So Perfect. Y- you've, you've written quite a few books now on, on really a wide range of subjects. You've been a best-selling author, and yet you communicated to me personally that this book— God's favorite place on earth is is the book for you. Out of everything you've written, this this is the book that kind of says it all. So, what is so special about the book? What's so important to you about the book? Well, I guess I would say it this way: that every struggle I've had as a Christian, that's a long time now, over thirty years, is contained in this book. You learn things as a believer through your mistakes, through your failings through the things that you're challenged with. And every once in a while, the Lord Jesus Christ will open your eyes and you will come across a solution to some of those struggles. And all of that is in this book, as well as that which drives me the most. And I have managed to simplify my Christian life down to one pursuit. And this book answers that pursuit. And I guess I would say another thing, Michael, and that is that this is written in a very, very simple way. It's Mm -hmm. the easiest read that I've ever written. You know, some of my stuff has lots of end notes and footnotes. You can sit down and read this thing in two hours. And it's very quick, but there's a lot of depth to it as well. I guess it's Frank Viola's heart and story and passion on paper (laughs) Mm. and in two hours of a read. Yeah, and I guess that would sum it up. It is absolutely engaging, folks. I'm going to tell you how you can order it in a moment. I'm going to encourage you to do that. What is God's favorite place on earth, friends? When I started reading the book and I got the answer to the question, I thought, wow, I never thought of that. I never saw it from that angle. And what if a man named Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus? What if he could give us a guided tour of God's favorite place on earth? Stay with me. 
Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. My guest today on the line of fire, Frank Viola, his newest book, God's Favorite Place on Earth. I want to encourage you to do something. Uh, You can get this book very inexpensively right now on Amazon, paperback, or for your Kindle e-reader. Go to Amazon.com and order God's Favorite Place on Earth. This book is currently number 37 in the top 100 books in all of Amazon, which is very, very difficult to be in the top 100. So there's obviously something going on with this book. Frank, what, what's, what's all the interest about in God's favorite place on earth? Before you tell us what God's favorite place on earth is and, and Lazarus's role in this story, which I found really intriguing, what, why the excitement about the book? What's actually happening on Amazon with it? It's word of mouth, Michael. Uh, that's how books spread. What's happening is that the endorsers, 47 Christian leaders have endorsed this book, and they didn't just endorse it. They wrote about how it impacted them. And 47 is a lot, you know. I mean, I was right. humbled when I saw it, but, you know, you've got people like Jack Hayford, John Ortberg, and on and on. There's a whole list, and people can see all 47 if they go to godsfavoriteplace.com. But what's happening is that people are reading this, and I'm getting letters and emails from grown men telling me that they just are falling apart reading it. I mean, it's actually provoking them to weep. I mean, I wept writing parts of it, but to hear somebody say, this thing is touching me so deeply, I'm losing it. You know, one guy said, uh, I think I lost half my body weight reading this book. Um, really? You know, that's a humbling thing. And so the Lord's doing something with it, which I hoped he would, because, Michael, the message changed my life. So I wanted that to happen to others. And that's all I can say about it. I really don't know beyond that. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a lot to say. I, I know there are things I've preached or written out of an agonizing burden of my heart and then sometimes soaked in tears and prayer and then when people read it or hear it, it has that impact on them. So there is that deep to deep. I mean, you can have something that's a bestseller. You can be popular. You can be on TV. You do all these things. It doesn't mean lives are being impacted. There's right. something about something that comes from the very heart and gut and soul of our being. And let's order on Amazon. Let's see if we can boost, boost yeah. this up a little bit. Um, so, so, Frank, God's favorite place on earth. What? It is God's favorite place on earth. What, what are you actually talking about? Is it a spiritual concept? Is it a physical location? Well, contrary to popular opinion, it is not New York City. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't fall out of your chair, folks. Here's the story in a nutshell. The Bible tells us in Colossians and in other places that God created the world, all things visible and invisible, through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the Creator. And there came a day when Jesus showed up on planet Earth in flesh. The Creator penetrated His creation, the thing that came from His hand. And from the womb to the tomb, from beginning to end of His short life on Earth, He was rejected everywhere. Bethlehem, there was no room for Him, so He's born where animals are fed. Nazareth, His hometown rejects Mm -hmm. Him. Right? I mean, we know the story. Prophet was not without honor, except in his own hometown. His brothers and sisters don't believe him. He goes to Samaria, and he's rejected there. That's when John and James wanted to uh, see Samaria shake and bake from fire from heaven, because they rejected him. Mm -hmm. And Jerusalem, which really has been God's place on earth, not only does Jerusalem reject him, Michael, but they crucify him. And this is why Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The creation rejected the Creator. Yeah, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Exactly, absolutely. John 1. But, brother, there was one exception. And it's just touching for me to think about it. A little village, obscure, tiny, unknown, forgotten about, ignored. A few hundred people live there, two miles away from Jerusalem, called Bethany. It was the only place on earth that would receive Jesus Christ. And he loved a family there that made a home for him, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. He spent the last week of his life in Bethany. Mm. It was the only place on earth where the Son of Man could lay his head. And Bethany is God's favorite place on earth. And here's the point of the book. I get into it in the short pages that flow from the first introduction, and that is, God wants a Bethany on the earth again. And he calls each and every Christian to be a Bethany for Jesus Christ. And he calls every church to be a Bethany for Jesus Christ. And in the book, I talk about what that means and what it involves. And so that is the meaning of the title, God's Favorite Place on Earth. So what happened in Bethany is supposed to happen in my life it's supposed to happen in the, in the congregation I'm part of. It's yeah. that somehow, I, I think of Luke 22. In fact, I preached on this Sunday morning in, in Georgia this past weekend that, that Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 22, I've, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. That these were his friends, and he, he was literally going to go through hell on our behalf and, and carry the sin and, and weight of of, of the world on his shoulders and, and, and die a horrific death on our behalf. And, and he wanted to spend time with his friends, with his dear close friends before he suffered. You're saying that, that God should really want to spend time with us, that he, he would look forward to that and know here's a place where the world is rejecting him and mocking him, but here's a place where he's warmly welcomed. Absolutely. And you know, here's the bitter pill that the greatest rejection that came to Jesus was not just from the Gentiles. You know, the Romans, yes, they're the ones that put the six-inch nails through his wrists, but it was God's own people who ordered it. Mm -hmm. And every Christian can experience it if they lived life for however long, following the Lord for any, any period of time, knows the utter pain and exquisite agony of being rejected by other Christians. And I talk about this in the book, and I talk about bitterness versus being broken, and the fact that Jesus experienced it firsthand. So those who will be a Bethany will be rejected also, mm. uh, but they will also be a home for those who really know how to receive Jesus Christ, and they will be a home for the Lord himself, and that's what he's looking for. He's looking for a place to receive him totally, because not only is he rejected in the world, Michael, but there is a, a portion, a percentage of God's own people that even to this day reject him and don't even know it. And so I talk about that. What does it mean to properly receive Jesus Christ in our day and our time? And that's mm. part of the book as well. Awesome. Yeah, so th- this, this book will move you, friends. And I want to encourage you right now, go to GodsFavoritePlace.com. It's an amazing book to get, and this is a way for us to help spread the message 
to others. Go to godsfavoriteplace.com and order today or go right to amazon.com. We'll be back. Let's talk about Lazarus, back from the dead when we return. Back to my special guest, Frank Viola, his brand new book, God's Favorite Place on Earth. Now, Frank, I've read a good amount of your material. Uh, This one caught me off guard because it was kind of biographical. I I was getting uh, a first-person account from from Lazarus, Lazarus who was raised from the dead. How how did you come up with this idea, and and how does the whole book unfold? Yeah, it's a great question. I am not known for writing fiction. I'm a purely nonfiction writer. But I just felt that this book and the story that's in it would be much better if I put it in the perspective and on the lips of Lazarus himself, and then later came along and pulled principles out of that story that he tells. So this is a hybrid. This book is a hybrid of dramatization, where Lazarus is speaking through much of it, and then biblical teaching, where I come in and just straight away, you know, pull principles out and apply them to our lives. I thought it would work better that way, and it seems to have have resonated. Uh, lots of fiction readers will not touch my stuff, but this one, boy, they're all over it. And even nonfiction readers, and that's me. I I don't read fiction, believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, even though there's some dramatization in this book, I don't read fiction. Uh, but this one, it was just so easy for me to write, mainly, most of it. But Lazarus is, he's an old man, and Mary and Martha, his two sisters, have passed away. He's getting ready to die, and he wants to tell the story to the entire world for the first time when Jesus came to his hometown, Bethany, and what happened there, and how it changed not only his life, but everyone he knew. And I do it in chronological order. The story of Jesus in Bethany is spread out throughout the Gospels, and it's not put in chronological order, and this is why we miss it. This is why we miss how important it was to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, as you know, you're a scholar, some of the Gospel writers will talk about an incident happening in Bethany, but they won't even mention that it's happening in Bethany. Right. So what I did is I took all of the stories put them all together in chronological order, and then I tell it through the lips of Lazarus. And I wanted it to be accurate, not just to first century history, but I wanted it to be accurate to the biblical text. So I had two New Testament scholars go through it very carefully to make sure everything was accurate and truthful and faithful to history. And one of them is a friend of yours, Craig Keener, who is one of the renowned New Testament scholars. He went through the book. He loved it, which was humbling to me to hear. He endorsed it, and he helped me with some of the material in terms of making it historically accurate. Another one was Joel B. Green over at Fuller. Yep. But anyway, this is a an account told from the first person. Lazarus tells his story. He even talks about to the point when he dies, which is the part where I lost it when I was writing it. <laughs> I just started crying. You know, here he is. He's sick. I weave together a story that's very moving, and I, I credit that to the Lord himself because it's beyond what I could write. And then at the point of death, I have a way of describing it that, for me, it just, just touches me beyond words. And Mary and Martha just throw their bodies uh, you know, on his body. And, and there's such a lesson here to everyone who has ever been disappointed with God, to everyone who has met a God who refused to meet their expectations, and to everyone who has met the side of the Lord where he doesn't even seem to fulfill his promises. Mm. And I talk about this in the story. You know, you remember here Lazarus is sick, very sick. And Mary and Martha are very concerned. They send word to Jesus. They said, the one whom you love is sick. 
the one whom you love. See, so many times in the Gospels, Jesus is said to just love this family. He loved these three people deeply and in a very special way. And Jesus sends a message back, and here's what it is. Listen to this. This sickness is not unto death, Mm -hmm. but to the glory of God. Now, how would any reasonable person interpret that? I'm not going to die. Jesus is going to heal me. I'm not Thank die. the Lord, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to yep. show up in Bethany like he has so many times, and he's going to raise our brother from this sickbed. Well, guess what? Shortly after that message was received by them, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And now they bury him, and in the first century, I weave a lot of history into it that's accurate to the first century, so you get a lot of, a lot of light and insight into what was going on back then. They buried those who died right away. So here's the funeral, and in that day, Michael, and you know this, I know you do, but for your listeners, if you were a close friend of the family and you did not show up to the funeral, that was an embarrassment Mm -hmm. to the family. It was like a slap in the face to the family. So not only does Jesus not show up, not only does he seemingly not keep his word, he doesn't even show up to the funeral. Now, you can imagine these sisters. They don't know what to think. You know, here they put their faith in this one to be the Messiah. They believe him, they trusted him, and now it appears he doesn't keep his word. My guest, Frank Viola, his new book, God's Favorite Place on Earth. And uh, we, it, it's, it's way up on bestsellers in Amazon in its first week. That means people are talking about it, recommending it to others. I want to encourage you to get the book. Go to godsfavoriteplace.com. Uh, so, Frank, let's, let's go back to Lazarus. Let's tell the story again. He's, he's sick. Jesus has been close to his family, to his sister Mary, Miriam, her Hebrew name Martha, close to the family. He's been a friend of the family. He's been welcomed at the home there. And now Lazarus is sick. And mm-hmm. Jesus sends, sends word, tells his disciples that this sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. So if if you were Lazarus and very sick and you got that message from Jesus, you, if anyone you can mm-hmm. trust in the universe, it's him. We, well, I guess I'm going to be healed, right? Absolutely. And, and Mary and Martha felt the same way. And here's a point that I make in the book. In our suffering, we want an explanation, but God wants to give us a revelation of his son. Mm. And one of the things about Jesus Christ that is consistent in his nature is that he always surprises us. His clock does not operate like ours does, and seemingly he will often not meet our expectations and not even fulfill his promises according to the way we interpret them. In the book, I paint a scene where Lazarus is he's on his deathbed there. He's very sick, and, and as you said, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, which means in their minds this is a big deal. And then I add a little bit of ad lib here, because I'm trying to bring the story into 3D high def. Mm-hmm. and make it live. He's got three friends around him. And one friend used to be a follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Of course, he's a Hebrew as well. And he says, Lazarus, you know, you're getting ready to die here. I just want you to know that you've been following and chasing a dream. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we both worshipped as a child is not real. He's not fulfilled his promise. How many years has it been since he was supposed to deliver us from our enemies? And here, look at the Romans are on us. And he has another friend who says, I disagree with my friend here, Lazarus. You know that I do believe in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but 
this Jesus of Nazareth, you've been deceived. Mm. If he really was who he said he was, where is he now? If he really was the Messiah, where is he when you need him most? And he even said that he would be here, and look, he lied to you. And then there's another one, and we've all met this one. Lazarus, I disagree with these two other gentlemen. You know that I love you, you're a friend of mine, and I believe in the Messiah as well. I believe Jesus has a reason for not showing up. I think he's going to come, you know, the unexpected hour, because he said he would. This sickness is not unto death. But Lazarus, the reason why you're sick is because there's some sin in your life. So you Mm. need to really look deep and hard and find out what that sin is. And if you repent, I believe God will heal you. Well, Lazarus responds to all three. I'm not going to say what he says to them, but it is You've got to read the book, right? <laughs> it's riveting. It's helped a lot of people. Folks have responded to that particular part. And, and look, the, 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 reason, the reason that I'm, I'm staying on this as well is because this is real life. You know, oh, yeah. there's so many people we talk to that were really doing well in the Lord, and then they hit a wall. Why didn't God, why didn't God heal my father? Why? Yeah. Look, Frank, some of the... I, I was talking to Dr. Geisler and mentioned that the most difficult questions I tend to get hit with are ones from a, from a child. You know, a caller mm-hmm. calls in and says his 10-year-old child said, Daddy, we were praying for the worship leader in our church, and he was a young man. And, you know, he died of a brain tumor. Daddy, why wasn't he healed? Well, you know, th- that's, that's real life. That's brass tacks. And then you get hit with, well, you did something wrong, or you get hit with the fact exactly. it's not real. The bottom line is it's not real. You're believing a myth, and it, it can hit, and it takes the, it, it knocks the wind out of you. It, 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 it takes the strength out of you. So this is real life, and you, you've written God's favorite place on earth as if it's Lazarus telling us the story. So he's now giving it firsthand, and as you said, in high def 3D. Okay, so Lazarus responds to these challenges. Then what? Well, I make a point here in the book as I unfold what happens, but... Mary and Martha say the same thing when Jesus finally shows up, four days late. And it was interesting, uh, four days is significant, because in the Jewish world of that time, the idea and the belief was that the spirit of a person, once they died, left the body but stayed close by for three days. But on the fourth day, the spirit left forever. So, you know, that was... (laughs) real death, okay, hopeless death. There's no coming back now. And as we said in the last segment, Jesus didn't even show up for the funeral, which was an Mm -hmm. embarrassment to the family. But four days later, he shows up. He's at the edge of this town. He's not even in Bethany. And the word gets to Martha. She rushes out and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary then runs out a little bit later, says the same thing. And I make a point. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened in my life. Lord, mm. if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened in this person's yep. life. And sometimes God will deliver us from trouble, but often he doesn't. He will deliver us through it uh. in ways that we will never expect, Michael. And, and he does it to get glory in areas that are beyond our imagination, somehow, some way, beyond the point of hope, where it's beyond hopeless. Four days after death is beyond, it's not just hopeless, it's beyond hopeless. Yes. Jesus Christ, if we hold on in faith and walk by faith, not by sight, where even the promises of God don't seem to be working, 
if we believe him even more than his promises, then he will come leaping over the hills in ways that we have never dreamed or expected. Uh, say that, say that again. <laughs> if we believe him more than his promises, but, but isn't, isn't he reflecting in his promises? Can, can we separate that from his promises? Yeah, Explain that. It's, it's our interpretation of his promise. Remember uh, when he sent word to Mary and Martha, and he said, this sickness is not unto death. Uh-huh. Any rational person would say, well, he's promising that he's going to heal Lazarus. He's yep. promising that Lazarus will not die. And here's the thing. We can take the Word of God. Madame Guyon said, I trust God more than his promises. We can take the Word of God and interpret the Word of God in such a way that we pin God down to a formula and make him fulfill expectations that we want. But he is an uncaged lion, and sometimes he's not going to do it the way we want or expect. And at that point, Michael, when God does not meet our expectations, it is at that point that we realize if we're worshiping Jesus Christ or Santa Claus. Yeah, that's absolutely the truth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's at that point that you also go through this great battle, how do I know I'm not deceiving myself? If, if I'm saying that up is down and down is up and that now is later and later is now and, and that healing is death and death is, you know, how do I know I'm not deceiving myself? And that's where the rubber really meets the road, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And Martha, bless her heart, you know, after she said that, Lord, if, and she was angry, she was upset. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she holds on to the last shred of faith that she has. Yes. And she says, nevertheless, I believe, she does a Peter confession, you know, <laughs> that yeah. you are the Son of God, the Messiah. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. You did not fulfill your promise according to the way I understand it. Nevertheless, I believe. And it was at that point he walked into the village and he did the unthinkable. And I paint the picture because, you know, Lazarus is telling the story. So when the lights go out and he dies, he no longer tells the story because he's dead. Right. So then I pick it up and I say, well, my sisters, you know, Lazarus is speaking. My sisters, Mary and Martha, told me what happened after I died. But then he wakes up, he hears the sound of a voice that he was so familiar with for years. Lazarus come forth, and his body quivers, and he's cold, and he wakes up, and he tries to move his body, which is now mummified, you know? <laughs> and he manages to maneuver and breaks the light through the tomb, and he hears the shrieks and the sounds of the people who are watching and screaming, and some are saying, this is a ghost. Anyway, it's all in the book. It's just phenomenal. Unreal. That story uh, uh, Unreal, phenomenal. yeah, and, and you know, Frank, what makes it so unreal is it's real. He's not just the life, he's the resurrection and the life. Welcome back, friends, to my last segment with guest, Frank Viola. Listen, his, his book got such interest from our, our staff, not just our listeners, but from our staff, that staff were ordering the book earlier, and then I asked it for a signed copy for my wife, Nancy. So I want to encourage you to get hold of God's favorite place on earth. One of the things, too, that people are saying about the book, Michael, is that, you know, Jesus was human. I mean, he was divine. He was God in flesh, but he was also a human, a real, living, breathing, full-blooded human. And the part about Jesus just wanting friends, you know, he's getting shot at everywhere he goes, torpedoed in Jerusalem every time he steps foot in there. And he had a need for friends, 
And so when he went to Bethany, he would retreat there. That was kind of like the oasis for him. And he did a little bit of teaching there. We know that. But he would just hang out there and be with his friends and enjoy the friendship of Lazarus and the hospitality of Martha and the kinship of Mary. You know, these were his friends. Not only does this bring Jesus to life, one person said, you know, the Lord was so much more relatable now. He's so much more relatable now than he ever was. Now I know he feels what it's like. He knows what it's like firsthand to be rejected by people who you think, you know, would receive you. I I think there's a, in the beating heart of every Christian is a desire for real friendship, especially if they've ever known rejection at the hands of other Christians. In other words, we're looking for a Bethany also, just as Jesus wants a Bethany. And Michael, I think the answer to that is if we become a Bethany for Jesus Christ, and I talk about how that's done in the book and what it looks like, then the Lord will give us a Bethany Mm. in turn. You know, the two are connected. We all are craving for friendships. God put that in us. It's a very human thing, but it's also a God-inspired thing. And and this is one of the things that comes out in the book. And another thing that comes out in the book that I think is amazing is that there is a death in Bethany, there is a resurrection in Bethany, and there is an ascension in Bethany. The last place to touch the seed of Jesus Christ was in Bethany. The Bible says he ascended from Bethany. Isn't that beautiful? He went into heaven from his favorite place on earth. Mm. I mean, it's such a powerful message. And we experience the death of Christ. We enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. We experience his resurrection life, which oftentimes comes four days too late (laughs) in our experience. And we also experience the triumphant, ascended, ascended life of Christ here and now. And Bethany gives us all of these images and all of these principles in such a beautiful narrative. So there's just so much in this short book that I wanted to get out to people. Let's just get one last little tidbit of an insight. In, in Luke, the 10th chapter, a well-known account, Jesus is at the, at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Martha's busy preparing and doing what women would do. And Mary, Miriam, is, is sitting, listening to Jesus, and, and she rebukes her sister, you know, and, and the Lord has an answer that she's chosen what, what matters most. Um, just got a minute, Frank. Give us an insight that you cover in God's Favorite Place on Earth about that, that interaction. Yeah, well, there's an awful lot, but I'll just say a couple things that we often miss. Jesus was in the public room teaching his disciples, in that scene, and the public room was only for men. Women could not enter into the public room. What Mary did, she was helping Martha, by the way. You know, all this Mary bashing uh, is just uncalled for. She was practical. She was a helper. She was a servant. But at some point, she said, I'm going to leave the kitchen, and I'm going to take my place at the feet of Jesus. And so she uh, breaks custom by entering into the public room where she's not supposed to be. And secondly, she's a woman, and Jewish rabbis only had male disciples. So she takes her seat at the place of Jesus at his feet with the men. That's a double scandal. And so when Martha went in there and started to chide her, she was actually saying, my sister is acting like a man when she's a woman. And the interesting thing is Jesus Christ, our Lord, defended Mary. Not one word of criticism to her. In fact, she did not defend herself. He defended her. And there's volumes, volumes in that, just how Jesus views women and everything else. So it's just a powerful, powerful story. Yeah, awesome. Listen, I'm uh, looking forward to present. I, I had the PDF of your book to 
to read in advance, but looking forward to getting the physical copy to present uh, to my wife, Nancy, because I think she's going to really enjoy reading it. Friends, go to godsfavoriteplace.com, order the book today. You can just click on the Amazon link, order it there. That'll also promote it to other readers at amazon.com. It's a joy to have you on the air again, and may the Lord use this book to touch many. Thank you so much. I'm honored. I appreciate it.